We are on our Who Do You Say I Am series. This is the third one, which is great. Hope you're enjoying it. It's a great chance. Again, just these are the seven I Am sayings that Jesus uses from John's Gospel. And it's great to actually look again, because actually, when we look at these, we realise sometimes we don't fully realise who God actually says he is. And yet, this is something so key and fundamental to us, to understand who he is, because it actually helps us to understand who we are by knowing who he is. And we get to share with others who he is in a right way. Okay? So today we are looking at John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out, um, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is John chapter 10. And again, in this passage, we actually have two of the I am's from John. Don't you notice that? We've got I am the door and I am the good shepherd. And actually, they're very closely interlinked because he uses this analogy of a sheep pen. But this morning, we are going to be focusing on I am the door or I am the gate. Um, and I know Chris is going to be looking at the good shepherds next week. So we're going to try and just stick to that. I'm going to try not to use some of his material for next week. Um, and I was just thinking about doors. And it's a... It's a strange one, isn't it, to call yourself, I'm the door, okay? Um, and I thought, you know, what what can we find out from our culture about doors? What have people got to say about doors? So I looked at a few famous people's quotes. But I wonder what famous people have got to say about doors. This is the doors from Monsters, Inc. Obviously, for those who've seen that film, you'll, you'll know it. Anyone know who this is? Elizabeth Taylor, okay. Obviously, British-born actress. Um, she says this, I feel very adventurous. There are so many doors to be opened, and I'm not afraid to look behind them. That's what she says about doors. The American actress, Brooke Shields, she says, don't waste a minute not being happy. If one window closes, run to the next window or break down a door. That's what she says about a door. Milton Berle, the American comedian, says this, if opportunity doesn't knock build a door. That's his idea on doors. Then you have this guy here. He's an Indian philosopher. He says, in oneself lies the whole world. And if you know how to look and learn, the door is there and the key is in your hands. Nobody on earth can give you either the key or the door to open except yourself. And then finally, my favorite, it's Dwayne The Rock Johnson on a door. He says this, he says, I grew up, when a door closed, a window didn't open. 
The only thing I had was cracks, and I would do everything to get through those cracks. I would scratch, claw, bite, push, bleed. Now the opportunity is here. The door is wide open, and it's as big as a garage. I know it's a bit odd, quotes on doors. But it's interesting, isn't it, what type of doors we have. There are many doors that present themselves every day in our lives, aren't they? And not just the physical, obviously, we're talking about the opportunities of doors as they come to us. And there are lots of doors out there that seem to offer us um, success and wealth. There are doors that offer us knowledge and friendship. There are doors that offer us things that we can't afford, aren't there, as we get ourselves into debt. There are doors that offer us satisfaction and entertainment every day that come to us in our lives. So what is Jesus talking about here in John 10? Is He talks about being the door. And do you know this analogy of a sheep pen? This wasn't weird for the people, actually. He was using an analogy that everybody in that culture would have immediately understand. It's not an unusual one. And to be honest, it's not too unusual for us. Obviously, apart from the fact that herding sheep is very different in this culture than it is in Middle Eastern culture, But as far as the analogy goes, people didn't have a problem with that. When we read that passage in John 10, people would have known, what what is it, a gate to a sheep pen? But actually, there was still lots of confusion. People did not understand still what Jesus was actually talking about. And um, the reason for this is it can be quite confusing. Just as we read John chapter 10, sometimes we can be like, what what is he talking about? Truly, I tell you, I am the door. And to find out, actually, we have to understand the context. And actually, we have to look at chapter 9 to understand what he's really talking about when he is addressing, actually, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in John chapter 10. Remember, obviously, when we're looking at our Bibles, those chapters, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, they've all been put in. So this would have been flowing, okay? And um, this came straight on the back of this, and it's so important that we understand what Jesus is actually talking about, what it's come from. So we're not going to read that, because it's quite a long story, but I'm going to tell you what happens. So Jesus heals this guy who the city knows well, okay? He was well known in the city. In fact, he's, he's blind, and he's blind from birth. Everybody in this city would have known him. Jesus comes to him, and he grabs this mud and he spits on the mud and he rubs it over his eyes and he tells him to go and wash himself um, in this uh, river. And this guy's healed. He goes from being physically blind to physically being able to heal. And he gets called in. This causes a huge commotion in the place. Everybody knows this guy. And suddenly, he's able to see. So the Pharisees, they call him into the courts and they say, tell us what's happened to you. We need to understand what's going on. He said, Jesus of Nazareth, he healed me. And the Pharisees, they don't believe him. In fact, they start talking about the fact that this has happened on the Sabbath day, when you're not allowed to do things. So they call in his parents, and they say, we want you to remind us, was he definitely blind at birth, and how has he been healed? And they turn around to them and say, listen, he, he was blind, and now he can see, but he's old enough to talk to you himself. So they call him back in. And again, he testifies that Jesus of Nazareth has healed him. And so what the Pharisees do, they are upset. And they actually excommunicate this guy. Okay, so just like someone's exiled, they tell him that this community that you're part of, 
we're saying you're not allowed to be part of anymore. Because you're, ju- you're, you're, you're telling people that this Jesus healed you. And this is where we land, right on the back of this. Jesus actually encounters him again before we hit chapter 10. And this man puts his faith in Jesus. So this man goes from being physically blind to being able to physically see, to being spiritually blind. His second encounter with Jesus, he puts his faith in Jesus and he becomes spiritually alive and he can see. And he can see that Jesus is the Messiah. And... um, as I say, it's directly on the back of this that Jesus calls himself the door. And he uses this analogy of the sheep pen, as I said, it's very well known. And this would have been where sheep would have been put at night to be safe. They would have been kept safe there, they would have been cared for, and they would have been protected from all the wild beasts that could have got to them. And the shepherd or the gatekeeper would have stood on that gate or slept in that gateway. Okay? And... um, I want to look at three things as we're going through this. I want to look firstly at identity, okay? And really the the identity that God tells us of who he is, okay? Essentially what's happened here, this last interaction that Jesus has had with the Pharisees. The the priests and the Pharisees have set themselves up themselves as the gate, the door to righteousness. This is who they think they are. And in one sense, they're right. This is who God has made priests to be in that time. Their role as a priest uh, was essentially that intercessor between God and man. And the priest was supposed to be uh, someone who God spoke to and they declared God truth to his people. But also people would come to the priest and he would make them right with God as they, as they brought their sacrifices on, on their behalf. They would come to God. They would offer sacrifices. But right here in this story, what we have is a man who has been made well. Okay? He's been healed from blindness, and he's naturally rejoicing. Blind since birth. And now Jesus has come, and he's healed him. But you see, the Pharisees and the priests, they're not rejoicing with him. They're not overwhelmed at this miracle that's happened. In fact, they're doing the exact opposite, aren't they? They excommunicate him from that community that they're in. The very man who is under their care. They're supposed to be the shepherds of God's sheep. The very man that is under their care, they excommunicate. This man who had such good news... He was rejected and shunned by the very people who were supposed to care for him, supposed to love him, supposed to bring him to God. And you know what? They cared. The reason for this is they cared more for their power, their own power, and not for the power of God that was being displayed through this healing. They cared more for their own glory and not for the glory of God. Of God. They cared more for their own authority and how it might be feeling challenged right at this point than they did for the authority of God. They cared more about the religious systems and the law that they felt had to be followed than they did for the good news of the healing 
and the grace of God on this man's life. They cared more for their reputation and how people might view them than they did for what had just happened to this man. You see, judgment and law and condemnation was their DNA. That was what they were portraying right here. And Jesus could see it. He could see it and he was ashamed at what he saw. And actually, he's describing them really as false shepherds, false prophets. They're not really priests looking after his people. False shepherds are those who are actually a threat to the people they've been entrusted to. We're told that there's thieves and robbers. That's how they're described. If you don't go through him, the gates, there's only one alternative. You are a thief and a robber. And thieves are looking to take things off others. These Pharisees, what they've done is they put up many gates in front of God's pen. They'd put up many gates. They'd use the law of the Sabbath to suggest that it was going to, it was sin for Jesus to have even prayed for this man or healed him. And therefore, there is no possible way that this could be God's. This was not God's power because it was done on the Sabbath and we live by the law. Their door was a door that was going to accuse condemn, and actually lead people to death. Lead people to destruction. That's how harsh this is. You don't understand this. This is, Jesus does not mince his words, and we see it time and time again. It is not palatable. It's funny as we've been discussing this in group, we've just been talking about how unpalatable the words of Jesus actually is. For these Pharisees, for these chief priests for these teachers of the law. This was so hard to take, what he was saying. But what they were offering him was death and destruction and condemnation. And you know, when we came back from being away last week in Brussels, we talked a little bit about it, but this was what Terry was speaking about. He was talking about the fact that the law is futile today. It's not something that's going to lead people to life. It cannot. The law cannot lead people to life. It only leads to death. It only leads to condemnation as we realize we fall totally short of the law. And so the Pharisees putting up all these laws in place. Hold on, we're going to excommunicate you because you haven't lived by this law, because you've actually been healed on the Sabbath, because you will you're declaring this man as the person that's brought the kingdom of God, they're bringing condemnation and death. You see, it's only Jesus. It's only Jesus, the grace giver, who can bring life. And Jesus says that he is the door. And do you know what's different? In his very frame, in his very frame as the door, he is made up so differently. His frame is one of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. 
and life in abundance. That's what he says. He brings life in abundance. This is the door that we come to who is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 4 to 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. This is the door we come to as Jesus Christ. We see it everywhere in Scripture. Galatians 5, we've got the fruits of the Spirit. Haven't we? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. This is the door. It's the very Spirit of God that we come to as Jesus Christ. And you know, Jesus is letting us know right here in this passage that he is the only way. He's the only door that can lead us to eternal life with him. Jesus Christ is the only way that we can be forgiven for all of our sins. And in fact, he's prophesying essentially something that happens 10 chapters later in, in, in John's gospel. He's prophesying that as he's there on that cross. As he takes on the full anger and wrath of God for the sins, for the mistakes, for the things that we do out of self-motivation, for the things that we do out of pride. He takes it all. And he's prophesying about the fact that he would open up a door to us. Open up a door of restoration to God. Where relationship has been broken. And when we look at the Bible, we see this happen right the way back in Genesis with Adam and Eve. And that relationship was broken with God. And right there on this cross, Jesus restores our relationship with God as he takes on all of the anger, all of the wrath of God. As he rises again with that resurrection power, we come into this restored relationship with him. He's the doorway that brought us into a new kingdom, actually. From that kingdom of darkness that I mentioned last week to a kingdom of light. And you know, the Pharisees, they consumed themselves, didn't they, with their own power and their own glory. They consumed themselves with their own systems and they've missed the king of glory standing right in front of them. They've missed him. This is God incarnate. He's standing there full of mercy, full of love, full of grace, full of forgiveness. And they've missed the very one that they're trying to serve. It's ironic, isn't it? The very one that they're living for, they've missed. So from an identity perspective, we are obviously the sheep. He is the shepherd and the gates. Okay? Secondly, invitation. Okay? Verse 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. It all sounds very simple, doesn't it? He's the door. But actually, when we look at other verses in the Bible, we, we read John 7. Okay? Verse 9, it says, For the gate is wide and the way is easy. The gate's wide, the way is easy. That leads to destruction, actually. 
and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. You hearing that? This is a narrow gate as well, this sheep pen. It's narrow and it's hard. And the, those who find it are few. I want to just say, we need to be aware that there are many doors that are going to present themselves to us in life. Okay? All the time. And they're going to present as doors that are going to satisfy us. They're going to present themselves to be true. And yet they're going to be proved to be false, many of these doors. We might actually call them idols. Okay? And so I just wanted to touch on just a few of these, just to look at as we start to come and look at Jesus' invitation to us. But some of those doors that we might put up in our, that we might be offered in our lives, that might offer us life, they might offer us all the satisfaction that we're looking for, all the desires of our hearts. Perfection. There's one door for us. You know, everything always has to be the best. That's what we're striving for. Absolute perfection in our lives, in every area. Now that might be the door that you think is, is being offered to you that brings life. Actually, it doesn't bring life. The Pharisees' works, okay, they were living by the law. It was all about doing things and not doing other things. And um, again, they were intent on putting up more and more gates for people to come to God. You had to, you had to go through this and go through that. They, they were doing works that they felt they were self-righteous. They looked at others and they felt they were better than others. They frowned upon others. There's this idol of works. Power. The idol of power, looking to have things always our own way. You know, looking to control every situation that we're involved in. Thinking that this is the one that is going to help us to control our life and lead us to life. If only I have power over everything, then it'll be okay. Success. This might be the doorway that you find you're looking at. Constantly striving. You can't stop. Striving to show others what you think they want to see. Striving to show others the success that you have in the things that you do. Hiding the things in your life that aren't successful and pushing forward those things that you see that the world might see as successful. Beauty. This idol of beauty. Constantly looking at yourself and modeling yourself on what the world sees as beautiful. Instead of actually looking at what the Bible says about the heart, okay? It's the heart where everything flows out of. And God's very, His word is so, it, it speaks so much about the heart. Looking after this thing. It's where true beauty comes from. Intellect. For some of us, that is our idol. Being consumed with what I know. Always having to know more. Never being content. And this is your power trip of always knowing more than others. And then there's marriage and children. Okay, actually your identity is found in the person that you're married to or having to be with someone. You feel like that's the thing that's going to lead you to life. That's the thing that's actually um, the thing that keeps you going. Gives you your value. Again, we live in a society where children 
have become the idol in a lot of parents' lives. They're the thing they live for. And everything that they do is consumed around their children. Do you know the thing about these doors? As we look at these doors that were being offered, that offer us life, they offer us satisfaction, they offer us some answers, but you know they're never going to save us. These doors are never going to save, they're never going to redeem, they're never going to truly satisfy. They're never going to bring us into relationship with Jesus Christ. I remember about 20 years ago, doing a evangelistic door-to-door outreach in Manchester, actually. I was, um, I'd gone off to do a couple of weeks during the summer. And um, there was some, we're in this scary neighbourhood. It's obviously none of those in Liverpool, is there? <clears throat> we're in this scary neighbourhood and we, every door we came to, you come to this sort of door. And I, I remember this one specifically. And you got, we got to this door and or, or, along this street. And this garden was just full of rubbish, full of junk. It had a uh, settee that was chopped in half and was sitting in the, in the front garden. It had just rubbish everywhere. And then on the door, there was a sign saying, beware of the dog. And here we were wanting to give out uh, invitations to um, an outreach event that we were doing. And I have to be honest, we didn't go to the door. <laughs> there was that fear. This wasn't an inviting door. This was a pretty scary door. This was one that didn't seem to want us there. And I want to say Jesus as the door is anything but this. Okay? He is, as I've already mentioned, love and grace and peace and forgiveness. And his door is the one that will truly satisfy. He is the only door that will lead us to eternal life. I want to say this about his door, and this is really important for us as Christians to know. His door is open to all. That's what he tells us. It is open to all. It's not closed. It's not a closed door. We're not coming and finding that gate. Man, it's, it's locked. Can't get in. It is open. And yet, we're told those who find it are few. Do you know, we live in a, an age, don't we, where actually when we look at these I am statements, they're pretty offensive. <laughs> to our age. Have you noticed that? We live in a pluralistic society. And to suggest that there's only one way, as I've said, is just so unpalatable to our society. Surely there are many ways to heaven. Surely there are many religions and ideologies that lead to God. Surely there are many good people out there who are going to heaven. You know, as we read those quotes, surely just like Dwayne the Rock Johnson says, if that door's not open, we work and we work and we scratch and we bite and we can get through that door. Or, as Brooke Shields says, if that door isn't open to us, we go, we find a window. Or we break down another door. Surely, that's much more palatable for people. There's many ways. But actually, we can't shirk from the truth here of what the Bible tells us about Jesus being the door. He's very, very clear here. He is the gate. But I want to say this. His gate is open to all. It's highly inclusive. Okay? doesn't matter what you've done. Whether you have lived this world in a very good light morally, or whether you have done 
whether you've chosen to go through doors that have led you down some dark avenues, whether you've messed up, whether you've been into drugs, or whether you've murdered someone. This door of Jesus is open to all. Just remember the thief on the cross next to Jesus. Okay, This thief on the cross next to Jesus was most likely a murderer, actually. And probably a murderer of women and children. And yet, Jesus asks him, do you put your trust in me? The door was wide open to him. Wide open to him. This murderer and thief. And he put his trust in Jesus and Jesus says, you will see me in paradise. Jesus' arms are wide open for us to walk through that door of eternal life, that door of grace, that door of forgiveness. And actually we're met with total love in an instant. And all of that anger and wrath that was coming our way, that was due to come to us, was taken on by him. Jesus on that cross opened up the door of restoration of relationship with him. And it says this, it says, the sheep will know my voice. The sheep will know my voice. It actually says that. And actually, if you look at Middle Eastern cultures, and even today, you look at the way they shepherd. They don't farm in the way that we do. They don't send sheepdogs in to herd sheep from behind. But the shepherd leads from the front. And actually, within, within these pens that they had, and it happens today even in Middle Eastern cultures, they will know every single sheep that they have. They will be able to identify that sheep just by looking at that sheep. Because they know the sheep so well. And they will know, I'm not saying they name them, this isn't some kind of Disney characters, but God says that he knows our names. Each of our names. And he says we will know his voice. Actually, the sheep you will find in Middle Eastern cultures, they, and it happens today, the sheep know the voice of their shepherds. The sheep would respond to the shepherds. And actually, we're reminded that as we walk through this door, we walk into a relationship. That's what we're doing. We're walking into a relationship with the shepherds who calls us by name. And we begin, don't we, to understand and to discern and to learn the voice of the shepherds. I want to say this, Jesus would invite us all into freedom today. To walk through this gate of life. And you know, so often we come with lots of baggage and hurt and pain and fear. As we've tried different doors, as we've tried to find our identity in different things, as we've got caught up in other stuff. But the beauty about his doorway The beauty about him is we can't come through the frame of his door with any of these things. What he does, he actually takes these things off us. Okay, shame. He just removes. Come through my door, you don't need that. I'm going to take that shame off. Anger. He said, no, it's not coming in. I'm going to put that there. All that pain from that situation, he says, I'm going to take that one off you. You don't need that where you're coming. 
All chains that were on us, he removes. He just unlocks. He says, you don't need these as you come through my door of life. As we recognize that we come through this door, we come through as sons and daughters of the king. And, and, and lastly, I want to say, as we come through, he makes some promises for us. Okay, finally, just the promises. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I just want to pick up on this. He will be saved. He will be saved. I believe in an absolute assurance of faith. Okay? An absolute assurance of salvation through faith in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, For by grace you are saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from work so that no one can boast. Do you know, I remember as a kid, putting my trust in Jesus at the age of six. And often I would go back to meetings and we started going to Bible weeks and people would do the call. We were just talking about this in the prayer meeting actually this week. People would do that call of salvation. They would say, right, okay, who, who wants to put their trust in Jesus? And because I hadn't lived in a certain way, I felt like I had to put my trust again in Jesus. I felt like I had to come through that door again. And I want to say to you, actually, there's something of saying, Lord, I want to be changed by you. But I want to remind us there is a full assurance of salvation as we walk through that door. There's a full assurance that he has conquered the evil one. He's conquered sin and death once and for all. And nothing, nothing can take you back out that door. Once you've walked through that door, Nothing can take you back out. He is now your shepherd. Nothing can take that away. John 14 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to go in there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and welcome you into my presence so that you may be where I am. God has Put your name in the book of life. Once you walk through that book, that, that door, he's preparing a place for you. He's actually already chosen you before the creation of the world to be with him for eternity. But we don't have to keep coming back and going, oh, am I saved? The relationship that he set up with us is not one of fear. Fear has nothing to do with him. He wants us to have full trust. That's not to say we're not going to mess up. Okay, And actually, one of the fruits, we looked at those fruits of the Spirit. When we've walked through that door, we become like Him. And so we start to develop these fruits as the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us. And they're signs that He is our shepherd. That we're getting to know our shepherd. But I just want to remind us again, there is an absolute assurance of our future hope and destiny as we walk through the door of life. Okay? And lastly, it says this, we go in and out and we find pasture. What's this about? Essentially, he's just talking about provision. Okay? God will provide everything we need. All our needs will be supplied in Christ. And I was thinking about this one. It's not about our wants. Okay? We have lots of wants, don't we? I was thinking about our kids. You know, Jessie's birthday on Monday, and she has lots of wants. 
You know, she wants a mobile phone. She wants an iPod touch. And we have to decide as parents what's actually good for her and what's not good for her. Because we know what's best for her, or we think we do. But God definitely does. And so as we come, we can go in and out and find pasture. And you know, the reality is we're going to go through lots of things in our lives, aren't we? We're going to go through grieving. We're going to go through times of trial. We're going to go through seasons of joy. And yet, what he's suggesting is that when we become his, we will be able to come in and out and find that pasture. We will find times with him. He will give us rest when we need rest. Okay? It actually comes from a verse in Ezekiel. I just want to read this one out. Ezekiel 34. It says, I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the lands so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase. And they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, no longer suffer the reproach of the nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. It's a covenant of peace that he's declaring here over us, okay? Actually, that is satisfied through Jesus Christ as he became that doorway to life. And as I said, there are going to be lots of things that happen in our life, and yet he's still saying that through the seasons of joy, through the seasons of mourning, through the seasons of darkness, he is the shalom. He is the peace who will give us pastures that we can dwell in, where there is no fear, where there is no hostility, where there is no threat. So I just want to remind us, identity. He is the gate. He's the good shepherd and we're his sheep. Invitation. If you don't know him this morning, if you haven't walked through that gate of life, then I want to tell you that the gate is wide open to you. He wants to embrace you with his love and forgiveness and joy. Because he looks on you with absolute delight. And you are free to walk through that. Nothing to do with what you've done, but because of what he did on that cross. And he gives us those promises that we will know his voice. He will be our good shepherds. Essentially that we're going to be saved from our own selves. And saved into abundant life forever with him. And so for some, there's a choice to be made this morning. Do you want to put your trust in Jesus Christ? Do you want to walk through that door of life? And yet for others of us, I want to say we're sheep. But we know, just as Jay, it was a great word by Jay, just as Jay declared, we've been given something freely. We have got the best news ever to bring to others. And we are not the door but we guide people and direct people towards the door. Okay? He is the door of salvation. 
And yet God has made us light, hasn't he? He's made us people who can direct people towards him, towards his pen. We can tell our stories of how, a good, how good a shepherd he is. Okay? And we can be a door of love, a door of peace, a door of people seeing into his kingdom. But it requires boldness as sheep. Just knowing again that security that we're in. If you want to respond, if you know actually, I, I don't know whether or not I've actually made that choice to walk through the door. Okay? I don't actually know whether I've done it. That's okay. But you can do that today. You can choose once and for all to know that security, to know that future hope. And I'd love to be able to pray with you at the back here. And for us all, there's something just to, again to reflect on who he is. This changes who we are. It gives us that full assurance of faith.